Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 61, brought to you by acmescience.com. On this episode, I talk to Christopher Boone, the writer and director behind the independent film Sense. We discuss how you can have mathematics in your movie without making the audience feel like they're doing problem sets. Why he made every character guilty when it came to bullying. And how you, yes, you listening right now at this moment, can help bring sense to a theater near you. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connected Components. I am talking today with uh, Christopher Boone, the filmmaker behind the Kickstarter-funded movie Sense. Uh, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Samuel. I appreciate it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to start off uh, with a quick disclaimer. I am not neutral. I helped fund uh, this this movie on Kickstarter. Uh, as as listeners to this know, I, I have a I have a a stake in Kickstarter in general as well as any media made about mathematics uh, and so and so I did I did uh, give money uh, to this and so um, just to, just to start off, could you give us a little bit idea of of what sense is sure so the, the log line for sense is um, sense is a story about Sammy Baca a crazy smart 12 year old girl who uses her gift for mathematics and enlists her frenemies to revamp the school penny drive into a major money making operation at the same time, uh, Sammy kind of struggles with her single mom, Angela, who's trying to keep her from making the same mistakes she did. And she's also kind of keeping her teacher and her mentor, Miss Dyer, at arm's length, even though Miss Dyer's just trying to stretch Sammy's mathematical capabilities. So at the core, we've really got four girls and their relationships with each other, how they make choices bad choices that kind of circle back around, back around on them. And at the center of all of it is Sammy, who, again, is this um, really smart mathematical genius doing calculus in seventh grade, but she's also an outcast and a troublemaker. And she's always looking for a new angle to kind of make a little bit of money to kind of keep up with the rest of her uh, classmates, as it were. So yeah, so girls, math, bullying, kind of all mixed into one. So where did you initially come up with the idea for the movie? You know, it wasn't just one idea. I think it was over a course of a number of years. I, I did have an idea that I wanted to incorporate math into a story for a while. And I, just just something I wanted to do. I loved math growing up, uh, but I didn't pursue it <laughs> after school. But I thought it would be great if there was some way I could incorporate math into a character or story. I thought that would be really interesting. And at one point in time, I had remembered a riddle that a math teacher had told me, which was the penny a day riddle. And it was, you know, if I give you a million dollars or a penny on the first day of the month, two pennies on the second day of the month, and keep doubling the previous day's amount of pennies for the rest of the month, which do you choose? And that riddle obviously has been told in many different ways, the grains of rice on a chessboard. Uh, but I thought that was just fascinating. Uh, that geometric series and how it grows exponentially just thought was really cool. It was always stuck with me. And that, that popped into my head one day. And I thought that might be interesting structurally. Separate from that, uh, I had been thinking about what my next story was going to be as I was working on a new script idea. And, and I have a daughter who is now almost 12. And this was a few years ago. So she was much younger, maybe seven or eight. 
And being a dad and having no idea what it was going to be like for her to hit adolescence, I uh, started doing a lot of research about that and reading a bunch of books. And as I was reading those books about middle school girls, I, I was just blown away by the world now and how they interact with each other and treat each other with language and, and looks. And now with social media, it just takes it to another level, how you can quickly send a tweet or a Facebook post and you don't have to see the person in, you know, face to face and can really kind of just destroy their lives. That was really scary to me as a dad, but it was really intriguing to me as a storyteller. So I thought, gosh, that would be a great world to, to explore. And I learn a lot when I write scripts. So I really wanted to learn more about it. So I wanted to explore that world. And, I, and then I tried to figure out a character within that world. And I wanted it to be somebody who was a bit on the outside, maybe had been burned in the past. And somebody who would be really intriguing, but what was going to make her different and special? And then that's when I thought, why, well, what if she was just off the charts smart at math? And that's not to be expected from this person. Like, nobody would know this about this character, and she would keep it a secret. And I thought that would be interesting. Okay, great. So she's good at math. I've got the world that I want to set the story in, but how am I going to propel the story forward? And that's when I remembered the riddle again. Like, this would be actually something interesting to structure a plot around this geometric series, knowing that it's possible to do what our character does, but highly improbable. And I thought, gosh, that would be really interesting. What if somebody actually tried to, to implement this in real life and if she could convince other people to get on board because it would start so small and so slow and actually seem achievable. I thought that would be really interesting. So all those things kind of came together at different times over kind of a couple year period. And once those pieces fell into place, then I really felt like I had a story. You mentioned, of, of course, Sammy and, and Angela, the, the daughter and, and mother uh, in, in the movie. And one thing that struck me as, as really interesting watching the film was that you, you have the mother uh, quite publicly and quite uh, strongly going after uh, her dream of getting into medical school. And then you have Sammy quite privately doing very well at mathematics. And the mother is struggling publicly, whereas Sammy's doing very, very well privately. And so I was wondering why you had the uh, person who, who was gifted and it's easy being the person who's hiding it, uh, whereas the person who's struggling, which most people tend to try to hide when they're struggling, uh, is, is doing it so publicly. That's a really good question. I've actually, I've never thought about it that way. So, <laughs> but no, that's a, real, uh, that's a really interesting take. I think a reason why, I can definitely talk about the reason why Sammy hides it is um, being 12 is hard. <laughs> and Unfortunately, I think, uh, at least in my personal experience, and then also just observing a lot of 12-year-olds, I've, I've been able to actually work on some short film projects with kids of that age, and so get to see them in their natural habitats. And now, like I said, my daughter's almost 12. It's really tough when you're at that edge of adolescence, and you are the world. your world is starting to change. Things aren't as rosy, maybe, as they have been if you've been lucky to have a really good childhood, as I did. Um, you start to see things changing and things that you thought were one way or aren't, and you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in. And I think a lot of times kids around that age just want to fit in. They don't want to stick out. If anything about them is different, even if they're really talented at something, you know, especially if it's something like maybe math, and unfortunately there might be other kids who might make fun of you for being really smart at that, you want to keep it under wraps. I think that's terrible. It's actually a reason I wanted to make a movie like this. I don't want anybody, whatever their talent is, to hide it. And, and, and so when you are starting to figure out that you might be very good at something, but that makes you very different from your peers, I want you to 
go after it and celebrate it and, and you know, and, and embrace that passion. So I hope that our character, Sammy, maybe beyond this film would emerge that way. Why her mom is more public is, um, I think her mom is, uh, has struggled for a long time and her mom is young and if you if you do the math in our film and if you really pay attention to it and she mentions her her age when she had Sammy and she's only 28 and her daughter's 12 so she was a young mom this wasn't expected and yet she jumped into this with both feet and has done everything she can to take care of her daughter and so for her it's always been about proving herself to her daughter and that's been really important but also by proving herself she wants to make the best life she can for them and and every step of the way for her it feels like has been a struggle and nobody seems to want to help her and so she always is fighting against that so i think for her a lot of her drive is you don't believe i can do this and she even says that nobody thinks she can do these things and that for her is why she has to do it and why she has to do it publicly as well is because nobody believes in her and she just has to prove all of them wrong so she can prove it to herself and prove it to her daughter. You, you mentioned this this kind of weird fear of sometimes showing talents that could help you be made fun of. And I, I was a, I, I, it didn't bear out in the end, but I was a talented mathematical youth. And that did, even in a small school, like did lead to lead to some some bullying, some some making fun of, uh, probably a little bit less uh, because of the male-female dynamic. It's a little bit more okay for boys to be good at math, sadly. Uh, but I was wondering, uh, since, I mean, you, you filmed this with young women. Mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering what their reactions were to to a math-heavy uh, story, to, to playing, uh, I mean, the girl who played Sammy, but um, even the other characters as well, to a, to a story that kind of revolves around uh, young younger women in mathematics. Well, all the girls in our film are, were, are very close in age to the characters that they play. I mean, they were all 12 and 13 when we filmed, with the exception of one who had just turned 15 but looks younger. And actually, those that had actually recently gone through seventh grade had told me, this is exactly what seventh grade was like. <laughs> and it was this thing of, of like, I, we, I, I, they still couldn't actually make sense of the uh, fact that friends would turn on each other. And it happened not it happened in their own lives and you, they don't really understand why and that was a big thing for me too is i really think at that age you're so self-absorbed that you can't see two inches in front of your face and so we try to actually play around with that visually with really shallow depth of field in the film and most people won't really pick that up but that was a conscious decision but as far as their reaction to math i'll say that uh, they're all very smart girls but none of them were necessarily all into math. I think they're all very good students, but I think they thought it was intriguing this idea of taking what seems to be a very simplistic equation and then trying to implement it in the real world with a penny drive and see where it takes them. But they they liked how it the, the plot hung on that. But I think what they related to more than anything was really the relationships of, of the characters. And you can substitute math for something else that somebody might be really good at, and somebody wants to tear you down. And, and so I think it's a, what I hope uh, for all, all audiences, both young and, and adults, is that they see it as a, an engaging film and it provokes them into conversations. And it gets them talking about, well, why do we do that? Why? 
do some people feel the need to tear each other, tear somebody else down? And why do we turn to things like social media to do that? And if we can start talking about those things, maybe we can come up with better ways for both youth and adults too to, to interact with each other and also find ways to celebrate, like I said, those passions and, and not be scared to share those talents. And, and again, look for opportunities to shine, essentially, and bring other people along with you instead of tearing everybody else down. And you, you've mentioned the, the bullying aspect of this film a few times. And one thing that I found very interesting is that everyone in the story is guilty. <laughs> they're, they're, and, and also a victim. Like there are, there's no one who's a hero, no one who's a villain when it comes to the kind of tearing it down. And, and so is, is that just because that's how you, I mean, it's, it's just because that's how you see the real world is working? Well, I think that's the way I see the real world, but also as I was doing the research for it too, both you know reading a lot of books and articles, um, talking to uh, people who've done a lot of research around bullying, and then just watching the kids and, and interacting with them and talking to them, asking questions. I, I never feel like it's ever truly a, a black and white situation where it's just a bully and a victim. Oh, individual instances definitely might be that way, but I think we all need to admit at some point in time that we have probably engaged in this behavior as well as a bully, even if we don't feel good about the fact that we did that. And we have almost certainly all been bystanders. We have almost certainly all watched somebody get bullied and not said anything and not stood up for the person or not talked to the bully and asked them why they're doing that. And, um, and so I just wanted to, to, to create a story where, yes, all of these characters, all four of these characters will play all of those roles. And then the real question becomes, once you recognize that behavior in yourself, can you make a different choice? And can you redeem yourself? Can you make amends? Because you might not be able to, but what, what happens when you actually, what happens when the consequences essentially circle back around and hit you? And then you have to really look carefully at the choices that you've made. And I just think that makes for a more interesting story. It makes the characters themselves more dynamic. I think it makes them more human. And in fact, um, you know, we do have one character, Hannah, who was, is the queen bee character and definitely the, the click leader, more the traditional mean girl. And we get to see all the characters in their homes. And there's a scene of Hannah that we actually had to cut, we cut out of the film for a couple of reasons. But in that scene, she actually has an interaction with her mother. And it's, we see Hannah in a very different light. And we start to understand maybe a little bit about why she is the way she is because of her relationship with her mother. But the reason we cut it out for the film, of film for a couple of reasons. One, it slowed things down. It was a little long. That's my fault as a writer. Two, it actually showed up too early in the story. And in the script stage, nobody picked that up, myself included. And then we shot it. And when we assembled the film, I asked the editor, why is this scene here? And he said, that's, that's where it is in the script. I'm like, you're crazy. No, it doesn't belong here in the story. And, he, and he's like, no, look at your script. I mean, I honestly wrote the script and thought this was going to come in like the second third of the film, not right where it showed up. So it just showed up too soon. And then when we did a test screening for 300 6th and 7th graders, they actually wanted that character of Hannah to be meaner. So they saw the version of the film where we see the interaction with her mother and we humanized her. And they said, no, no, I don't, <laughs> I, I want to not like her. They wanted one character they could really kind of sink their teeth into. And, and the, the, at a point, there's a point in the film where the character, she storms out of a classroom and they started to cheer. 
And at the time, I didn't have their comment cards, so I didn't know if they really liked her or if they just hated her, and they liked to hate her. Um, and I, even though we took that scene out, um, the, the way that character's final scene is played, most people might not pick up, but, but there's some ambivalence in the way the actress, Jai Prishkulnik, plays Hannah's last scene, and we had talked a lot about it. So it can be read a couple different ways. And I think there's a hint of humanity in the way she plays that final scene. But hopefully someday we'll have a deleted scene and people can actually see that. No, Hannah's not all bad. You don't, I mean, even even Hannah's not not all bad. Uh, but the main character is is just as much not, not all good. So uh, on my notes that I wrote down while watching, uh, you have a main character who's a 12-year-old who's incredibly flawed. She lies, she steals, uh, she makes bad choices. And that that seems like a, um, I mean, it seems true. I mean, it's, 12 year olds are not, not perfect angels. I think that stops at around 12 weeks uh, instead of 12 years. But I, I, was, I was wondering where you, where you um, were, when you became sure that it would, would be okay to treat a character that young in, in a way that a lot of a lot of movies won't they won't start treating character in that way until they're you know at least high school right. um well I, part of me was I, I wanted to create a story that i thought was realistic and naturalistic portrayal of kids of this age and i think a lot of times when you see films where maybe the protagonists are the age of 12 they they don't feel like they're 12 to me they they might speak in a hyper realistic fashion um they're a little too witty, I think. Um, you know, they're just a little, too, maybe a little too perfect, and then, and then they're faced with an obstacle. But they themselves are, I don't know, maybe really wholesome or really good. And yes, hopefully, if you've written a good story, there those those characters will make some mistakes. You know, but interesting characters to me are really flawed characters, and. So the more flawed the character, the more interesting the character, and the more opportunities I think you have as a storyteller to explore uh, those flaws and then how are they going to overcome those flaws over the course of the story. And sometimes they're not. They're not going to. So I, I feel like the, the character, all four of the characters are, are based in reality. So I didn't worry so much about whether or not they had flaws or not. My concern was can I get an audience to want to go on the ride with our protagonist when she is lying and stealing? <laughs> and that was a really tricky balance. And, and some people may argue with me that I might not accomplish it, but I think because she's also really strong at math and she is this outsider, she, it makes her interesting. And we wonder why she's stealing and we wonder why she's lying and we wonder why she's hiding her talents. And because we're wondering all these things, I, I hope it pulls the audience into the story and gets you really into her world. And even if she is making mistakes, you're still rooting for her. She's definitely a protagonist. She's definitely a, 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 in the hero mold. She's not an anti-hero in any sense of the word. But we have to see how far we can push her so that you still want to stay with her. And I've had some people say, like, I, you know, I just didn't, more adults than kids actually say, I just didn't like the fact that she was stealing. Well, she is. <laughs> so, you know, um, but see the movie and, you know, people have asked me, they've seen the trailer and they haven't seen the film. They ask, well, does she redeem herself? And I said, you know, that's, that's a big question. So, you know, come see the movie and see if she does. And honestly, I, I think every audience member has to kind of answer that question for themselves. But I do we do have a story where we give the character a chance. 
And I think it has a hopeful ending. I mean, I know I've had people ask me, you know, is it at least hopeful? And I said, yes, I, I do think it's hopeful in the end. Um, but you, you can't have a character who's perfect. It doesn't just doesn't make for a good story. I, I can I can reiterate. I did not walk away leaving sad. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, and one thing I mean, and this this is just because I'm a nerd, uh, but I love that the character's entry into being a part of the in group, the the popular kick. It's just that she's good at math. I mean, she, it, it's not it's not sold exactly like that, but it's that she the idea that she has uh, for the penny drive is is straight from math. And and I love the idea of a character just like. Oh no, I can I can leverage this thing. And and that's true for getting into friend groups quite often. It's just I just love that it that it really was mathematics that did it. That's great to hear. I mean, uh and and it is one of those things I had to figure out. Like how is she going to work her way into this group? And yeah, and she's, she's definitely gonna use math, but at the same time, she's pretty wily as well. She knows she can she, she might be able to convince some members of this clique to go along with her a little bit easier than others. But yeah, it, math is definitely at the core of her, her plan and definitely at the core of the plot. And it's one of those things that was really, it was a, also that was a really tricky balance as well because I wanted to write a story about math, but as much as people like yourself obviously are big, big, big into math, the audience as a whole doesn't want to go to a movie and solve math problems. Oh, that, that's true. So, that's very true. So, I and, and so the, 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 one of the things I really had to figure out was, okay, this movie, the story is built around this equation, but how do we do it in a way that we're not asking you to solve anything. We're just, we're bringing you along for the ride and you understand it to the degree you need to understand it so we can keep the story moving. And at certain points in the story, we're going to also have to bring it back around to the math to explain why things work the way they do and why they might not work the way it was initially proposed. And how do we do this by literally, not literally going to the board and doing a math equation? So have to be really visual with it and also, again, uh, bring in confusion and conflict. And I, I quite literally structured the story using, you know, a spreadsheet and looking at the equation and figuring out, okay, what day are we in the penny drive? What would be happening right now? Okay, how would the girls be feeling about it based on how much they've collected at this point, when is it going really well and when is it all falling apart? And so math truly drove my creative decisions as we were putting it together. And I look at other films that um, either have math or something mathematical or scientific in them and, and how they've done it. So a great example, recent example is The Imitation Game. I literally just had my daughter watch it yesterday. And um, okay, you've got Alan Turing cracking the Enigma code. And I challenge anyone to watch that movie and tell me the math behind it. <laughs> and you don't want to see the math, but you do want to see all the diagrams that he's drawing. And you do want to see the construction of this great big machine with the cables and the dials. And you want to see him give this test to all these people to see who can come on board. And you want to hear him say it only, you know, it takes him eight minutes. So there's no way anyone can solve this problem that we never see. And Kara Knightley's character come up and solve it in the six minutes, under the six minutes that he's you know, given to us. And as an audience, we're, we're with you. We're totally on board. And that had not come out, obviously, when I was working on this. So I didn't have that as a model. But I think of other movies like Searching for Bobby Fischer. And I understand how chess pieces move, but I actually never got in the chess. And it doesn't matter. I don't need to know how to play chess. And I am completely enthralled in that movie because they've made it so dramatic. And I can see what's going on. And they've shown me just enough that I pick up I know in this final chess match, 
why the boy is it going to win? And it's still really exciting. And again, I still don't know how to play chess. So it's, it's things like that. How can you make a, a mathematical or a scientific um, subject really interesting to your audience, and yet they don't feel like they necessarily learned uh, or, or so had to solve a math equation. And what was really funny is my wife, she's read the script, but she didn't see the film until it was all done and, and locked and with the, our private premiere screening for cast and crew and Kickstarter VIPs. And she said, well, there's more math in it than I expected. And I said, oh no, was there too much math? She said, oh no, 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 not at all. But I was actually surprised at how much you were actually able to bring it into the story and keep everything moving along and not feel like, again, I was doing homework. So that was great. And she is uber smart when it comes to math. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, so, so pivot a, a little bit uh, off to uh, how you actually got this together as, as a project. Uh, could you tell us a, a little bit about your experience with Kickstarter? I mean, I, I know mine, but uh, I mean, you, you, were, you were trying to do a movie. Oddly enough, movies cost more than, more than podcasts do. So, uh, so and you, you raised what, I believe 60,000? Yeah, we, yeah. We, we raised a little over $60,000. Our goal was 50000 So we did our campaign back in January of 2014. And uh, I put a lot of research into it. I actually researched Kickstarter for two years before I launched a campaign. I actually had the benefit of uh, when I was learning about Kickstarter, I stumbled across a blog called nofilmschool.com. And I actually contribute to that blog now where I write about screenwriting. But the founder of that blog, Ryan Koo, had a very successful Kickstarter campaign for a film really early in Kickstarter's history. He is actually still working on that film, and I believe he's shooting this summer. I'm very much looking forward to that film. It was called Manchild. It's been renamed Amateur. So everybody keep your eyes out for that. But um, my experience was uh, I just did a ton of research and tried to figure out best practices. And there's one of the things I'd say that anybody who's, who's planning any sort of crowdfunding campaign, you, you, you really can't just expect to launch a campaign and think people are going to show up. It takes a lot of work. And a lot of that work is going to happen well before you run your campaign. So I would caution everyone to take your time and, and learn about it. So what I want to do was after I did all this research while we ran our campaign and then after our campaign, I wrote extensive blog posts on No Film School about running our campaign for film. And I talked about it right as we were launching it, right uh, when we were at the final week. And I explained the, you know, the, I, I did a screenwriting thing of five story, 15 story beats of our Kickstarter campaign. And I shared all of our dashboard data and just put everything out there, things that people can't see because they're not running campaigns, try to be as transparent as we could. And then I explained what happened in the end because we had a really roller coaster ride, I think like a lot of people do yeah. on their Kickstarter campaigns because we went into our last week and we were hovering around a little over $30,000. And again, our goal was 50. So we had a week to get just under $20,000 pulled together. And those last days are crazy. And you're doing everything you can. It's a full-time job for the month that you're doing it. That's the other thing people don't realize. You can't just kind of do this part-time. You got to figure out a way to do it full-time. And so I was all in. And we got to the point where we were about we were at 48 hours out and that's the thing is the 48 hour window if you're close that's where everything really comes together and we hit 48 hours and then we were up at like $47,000 I think so we were we were really close and I was like I was actually confident even though I was like you still have 13,000 oh no sorry 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, 47, we only had a couple thousand to go, but oh, I'm getting my math wrong. I'm thinking of the 60 that was our total. No, no, we weren't quite at 40,000. We were at 40,000, I think, somewhere around there. So we had about 10,000 to go. And the reason I'm jumping ahead is because I was like, okay, well, we have two days and I think we can pull this off. And then uh, what was so crazy was that day, everything is popping and we're getting closer. And I'm like, okay, we'll hit our Saturday deadline for sure. And I got in the car to pick up my kids from school and my wife calls me after I've gotten in the car and says, what just happened on Kickstarter? I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you just, you know, you just jumped all the way up and see, and I am going to my math. We tried to raise $60,000 on Kickstarter. I'm thinking 50 because that's what we netted. And we jumped from like 47 all the way up to 56,000. So we were then just like three or $4,000 short of our goal. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like I just left the house and we were right out $47,000, So she's like, well, I, somebody just, dumped in a bunch of money. Did you do something? I said, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I can't, you can't as a Kickstarter yeah. camp, you can't put no money loss. in. And so I, I'm in the car. She goes into my account. She sees what's going on. She says, uh, somebody just donated $8,192 to your campaign. Now all of our Kickstarter reward levels were something to the power of two because of our plot. And our biggest reward was two to the 10th power, $1,024. I'm going, what is going on? And I stopped. And I'm not that quick with math, but I've been working with the exponential function for our script. And I go, wait a minute, $8,192. That's two to the 13th. Somebody just donated two to the 13th. Who is it? And she tells me the guy's name. I have no idea who it is. And it actually just happened to be somebody who was local in Albuquerque, but also had been very successful with the business. I won't go into too many details to respect his privacy, but had been very successful with a dot-com business and discovered our film through Facebook. A friend of his had posted the trailer in our last 48 hours. He saw it. He loved the math component. He's big into math and um, just dropped into the campaign right there as a true angel. And so we hit our number with a full 24 hours to go. So we hit our $60,000 goal with 24 hours to go. And I know a lot of people, sometimes they hit their goal, like, okay, let's go for a stretch. And, you know, we only had 24 hours. Yeah. So my whole thing was just gratitude. Just say, thank you. Please, if you'd like to share it with other people, great. They know they're going to get the rewards because they're going to move forward. I will say $60,000 is not all the money you get. Obviously, you got to carve out money for rewards. We were pretty transparent about that. So that's why I kept getting confused as I was telling the story. It's oh, been yeah. so long. 50000 is what we really wanted to net out of it after the rewards and everything like that. But $50,000 is not enough to make the movie that we wanted to make. So we had to find other investors. And I personally, as I say in our Kickstarter video, put in a substantial amount of my money. And then my wife and I had a conversation after the Kickstarter was successful and we had pulled in some investors, but we still weren't really where we were. She said, you know, we kind of need to go in on this and, and make it happen because you've got all these people expecting the movie now. So we dug even deeper. So, you know, you're not supposed to invest in your own movies, but at the same time, it's also never going to happen sometime. So, so thank you to my wife for letting me do that. And, uh, and then we, and then pared the budget down. Um, and, said this is what we can make it for and so we made it last summer and i'm fortunate to say that i've been able to make a feature film thanks to a bunch of kickstarter backers yeah i i my i, I did not have someone go in for that much money i would love love to pay you some money to get that guy's <laughs> name uh for the next time i'm running one um and i mean the first first one i did i was only trying to get eight thousand and i'd actually given up mm. you know like two days left and i needed over a thousand so i needed over one eighth of what i was looking for i'm like there, there's no way and then i woke up the morning of the last day, like 14 hours to go or so. And all of a sudden I was like $500 short. I'm like, 
I, I just, I looked at my phone and it had exploded. I'm like, what is going on? I don't even know. This is okay. And someone, like, people were, like, live tweeting it. I'm like, okay, I'll let, I'll let those, they're much better than I am at this. So I'll let them continue on. So and then some things that people may not understand about Kickstarter is that um, people will follow projects on Kickstarter but not necessarily contribute. And you don't necessarily know that who those people are. And so what happens is Kickstarter will then send out a notice at the 48-hour mark to those people that are following it. And so all of a sudden, that's why things kind of start to pick up. Also, Kickstarter will start promoting those projects on their front page. Because if you've crossed over, they have all these, there are all these statistics. If you've hit 50% 50 of your goal by a certain point, you're most likely going to fund. If you've hit 75%, you are well into the 90 percent, you know, probability range of funding. And yet you can be 24 hours out and the, the absolute dollar amount that you need to raise <laughs> is substantial. It's like for me, again, it was over, it was over $10,000, 48 hours out. So that's huge amount of money. And yet it just kind of comes together. And the other thing that ours was ending on a Saturday, but since then I've had people say, oh, you should really have your, your campaigns end late on a Friday night because magic happens on Friday nights. People are out and about and they're not emailing, but they're on social media and, uh, or they're not out and about and they're sitting on their computers. And you're right, there are these people that all of a sudden, you know, that's the thing about the crowdfunding. It's, it is the crowd. And by that point in time, we had a lot of backers and you're so close, they don't wanna see you fail. And that's the beauty of crowdfunding. But that's also the beauty of Kickstarter. The all or nothing model for me is what works more than the other models like Indiegogo where you get whatever you raise. I, I don't know too many people who are independent filmmakers at my level who have done a successful Indiegogo campaign in terms of hitting their goal, unless there was something about their campaign where they had a star attached. And again, then they're not my level, they're above my level, where they had something about it. And they usually, you know, they get maybe a third, but since there's not that all or nothing pressure, there's no real pressure for people to pass it on in those last few days. And all of our backers wanted to see it happen. And they were just as excited as I was when we funded. I mean, I had people running up to me on my kid's school campus because it all of a sudden got really close to funding and they're all asking me what happened. I said, I, I have no idea. So you really feel the power of the crowd. And, and then the other reason that we did it too, more than anything else uh, besides the money was we needed to build an audience. We needed to show that there was an audience for this film. And so these are the people who want to see the movie more than anybody else. And they're the ones who are going to share it with their friends and family too. Well, speaking of audience, uh, we should talk about how or if or all of the uh, distribution side of things. So I, I believe that there's a way that people can uh, get together and make sure that they have a chance of seeing this movie before uh, digital release. So how, how can people do that? Yeah, definitely. So we are working with this platform called Tug, and that's T-U-G-G. Dot com And it's a great platform for bringing movies to your local theater for one-time screenings. They're kind of like little mini Kickstarter campaigns because the only way the screening happens is if you pre-sell a minimum number of tickets. That's somewhere between 80 and 100 tickets. It varies based on the theater you were in, the day you're doing it, and the time you're doing it. And so our film is now up on Tug. And starting in August, August 8th is the first screening we're doing. We're, we're actually planning a screening here in Albuquerque, another one in Santa Fe here in New Mexico. And then I'm also scheduling a Northeast Six City tour in September, going Boston, New Haven, Brooklyn, Wilmington, Delaware, where I grew up, 
Baltimore, where I went to college, and Washington, D.C. in six days. And again, those dates, as soon as we get them confirmed, which should hopefully be in about a week or so, we're going to make that public. But you can go to our website, sensethemovie.com. You can click on the menu at the top that says screenings. You can learn more about Tug, and then you can click on a button there that will take you right to our Tug page. And you can learn more about how Tug works and how you can request a screen in your hometown. So what we really want to do is um, we're hoping not that our Kickstarter backers are going to want to bring this to their towns, but we're also looking for partners. So talking to everybody who's listening to this podcast, if you are involved in groups that focus on youth and math, specifically girls and math, like we want to hear from you. We want to work in partnership with you to do a screening because the other thing that Tug can do is we can add a fundraising component to a Tug screening. So we can sell tickets through Tug, but then we can ask people to donate an totally optional, a certain amount of money of their choosing to a group that might be uh, promoting that particular screening. So I am working right now on my outreach to organizations both at the national level and at the local level so that we can do a bunch of these screenings all over the country. And we will work with these people to help promote the screenings via social media. And we have an entire promoter kit that we put together with Tug. And I'll be working, like I said, really directly with these people. And on these tours that I'm talking about, I'm going to go out with the movie and actually be available for a question and answer. And then once people see the movie through a Tug screening, if they want to host it for their school or for their group, great, let's, let's schedule it again. So we just want to keep kind of having this snowball effect similar to our plot device <laughs> of it kind of like uh, growing that way and push it out there before you can actually get it digitally. And it will be, event it's eventually available digitally. You can actually pre-order it right now on our website, sensethemovie.com. You can pre-order digital downloads, Blu-rays, DVDs. And we've actually been doing our behind the scenes uh, documentary right now. And we've recorded my commentary and we've recorded a commentary with the four girls in the cast. So all those things are gonna be bundled with our downloads and with our, our Blu-rays and DVDs. But we really want people to see us in the theater. Even movies like ours that are these independent, character-driven dramas, you need to see them in a theater with an audience. I'm just telling you, people have forgotten what it's like to go to a movie and see things with an audience. You need to laugh with an audience. You need to react with the audience. You need to talk about a movie afterwards with an audience. And even though we don't have giant explosions, sorry, spoiler alert there, um, Hearing our film and the music that our composer, Catherine Bostic, put together, it, it just sounds phenomenal in a theater in 5.1 surround. And you might be saying, I got a great sound system at home. And I'm sure you do. It's just not the same. It just is not the same. And I hope people do enjoy it in their home theaters, on their iPads. I realize the future of this film is going to be young people probably discovering the film via iTunes and all these other platforms. But I just really want people to come to see it in the theater because it's just going to have a much, much better experience. And you make it happen. You make it happen with Tug. And so please, please go check out our website, sensethemovie.com. Go to screenings and find out how you can bring it to your hometown. Uh, everyone, listen to them. Go set up your own Tug screening wherever you are. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to set one up uh, in Detroit and everyone can come talk to me since, since I've, I have some special insight since I've already seen it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Christopher, thank you so much for coming answering the Connected Opponents. Samuel, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. And this is all the time that we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. To find out more about the movie Sense or about Christopher, please head on over to acnescience.com and find the post all about this episode. 
The music on this show is by Lowercase N. You can find them on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. If you have any feedback, please feel free to send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. That is my personal email address. Please, you know, just say hi. You can also back our Patreon over at patreon.com slash acmescience. And, you know, as always, this is a Creative Commons Attribution Share Like Licensed podcast, so please feel free to remix it as long as you say you got it from us. Thank you all for listening. And... This may sound silly, but have a matherific week.